Oh, and we just got the bots in. Hey, everybody, it's <laughs> Flail Forward. Hey, everybody, it's Flail Forward. Uh, coming to you in standard fashion, a little late, and starting over. Okay, so... Uh, right, it's Friday. I'm Rob. Catrice uh, is with me tonight. Hi, Catrice. Hi. Hello. Kevwar is here. Hi, Kevwar. Hello, I think I'm Hello. here. <laughs> he, he thinks he's here. Do you need to do more than that to be someplace? Sometimes. Neat. Mark's here tonight. Hi, Mark. Hello. Hello. All right. Uh, tonight we're discussing... Uh, I don't remember. Well, we there was a topic discussed earlier, and it was uh, NPC okay, stuff. So according, okay, so according according to the spreadsheet, the the official name of this topic is how game how your game teaches players to set up a setting. Oh, I'm not sure that that is clear, but we should probably discuss what that actually means, even if it is. Yeah. Yeah, that's yes, it's close. not. I guess it's clear-ish. How how does your game get players to set up the setting, like establishing setting? That's that's the thing. Establishing setting, or like the bits of establishing setting. Catrice, uh... <laughs> quick check. Ah, just a second. I. I am apparently not showing up on the Twitch stream. Let me change mics and see if oh, that's Oh, you're not showing issue. up? Hang on, that might be me. No, no, no. It might be me. Hang on. Okay. It might be the window capture, almost certainly. Because okay. something goofy happened. Okay, so because I had to change jacks. All right. <sighs> it's always it's always just one one little thing. Yeah. Has to be, isn't it? Yep. Okay, so I'm going to stop this window capture. Add it back in again. Okay, give me some vocals there, people, and see if it. Oh, and it, that good. Go ahead. Hello. Okay, words. I'm saying them. I think. Yeah, I'm not sure if they're actually coming through to other people, but. Yeah. Okay. Um, should I stop talking or should I keep yeah, talking? Yeah, the Twitch, Twitch stream yeah, I... is not actually playing audio. Like, I see people lighting up. I'm not hearing anything. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. I, apparently, I cannot be heard on Twitch, which uh, that's audio. fine by me, but probably an issue for the podcast. Yeah. Uh... Okay. All right. That should do it. It's a good thing I checked. <laughs> hey, everybody. It's Flail Forward. This is our third time trying tonight, for those of you paying attention. I need someone else to say something. Catrice is okay. here tonight. Hi, Catrice. Yay. I'm also here, I think. Edward is also here. Mark uh, is also here. Yeah. Mark is here. And is a Twitch stream doing audio things says it is huh yeah again it's like everybody is lighting up on the twitch stream but 
they're not actually making any sound other than Rob. Oh, what the hell? That's uh, suboptimal. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it would make for a very interesting discussion for people listening. Well, I mean, right. the robots can hear all of us. Yep. <laughs> I, I promise I will get this right one day. <laughs> I will That's thing a pretty is, lofty ambition. But I do okay. not believe this is your fault. This happens with every podcast I've ever been in. Okay, good. Well, That's I, nice. I, I hear I hear myself now. That's a start. You do? How about now? Yeah? Check. Check. Hi. Check. Check. Yep. Hi. Can you hear me? I guess is a thing to ask. Yes. Yes. All right. <gasps> we are actually live. Try number four. Hey, everybody. It's Friday. I'm Rob. That's Catrice. Hi, Catrice. Hi. <laughs> Sabrina in the audience is being extremely patient with us. That's Kevoir. Oh, yeah. Hi. I, I, I'm here, I think. Mark's here, too. <laughs> Hi, Mark. Hello. Yeah. Hi. Still here. And Still here. Yep, we're doing all that stuff tonight. Uh, did that work? No. Uh, so we're going to talk about a topic tonight, and that topic is how does your game establish the game setting for you, player? I don't know. What was the set? What was the topic? Katrice, oh, sort explain. of like. Okay, so if you're going to set up like a setting in your game as you know, the game designer, what should you be including for, you know, the GM and the player so that they know how to actually set it up in the game, especially if it's anything that's outside of the ordinary was the main focus I was looking at. So like, you know, the concept of the adventurer economy, for example, I, this is not something that exists in reality. What do you include in the game so that it actually feels kind of like something that actually exists and not just something you say exists. Mm. Like, it's probably not going to be like, you're, it's unlikely you will need to have like a really complicated, uh, extremely in-depth explanation with every single thing that would need to make it run realistically like this is probably not going to be simulationist uh, as a matter of fact the more you try to if you try to absolutely define everything that just uh leaves a lot of porous space for more holes to come in and you need to rely on people's ability to fill in gaps on some level yeah otherwise otherwise uh people will think that they can defeat your setting basically like, any otherwise any real like any minor flaw in your logic and the more like strictly defined the more like direct flaws there are is another mm -hmm. thing is yeah. something that the players can you know theoretically exploit although catrice is fine with players exploiting certain types of logical loopholes within the parameters of the game because that is part of the function of the game but that's not quite what i mean either so it's not true for most Designers that most people get kind of pissy about that. I'm generally okay with it though. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, my setting's designed to be exploded like every couple of sessions. So I mean if you I mean if you want, you could. It's fine. Just, <laughs> Just expect everything to be on fire. This it's fine. It's normal. Don't worry about it. I mean, in, in Rob's case, if the if your game doesn't start with everything on fire, then it was probably a different element. 
<laughs> Some things can start with everything on lightning. <laughs> a type of fire, it might lead to fire at the very least. Mm -hmm. Or it could, or you could have had a, 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 it could have been, everything is on mushrooms. That could happen. I mean, out, mushrooms grow everywhere. I think you're. That's not the same thing as being on mushrooms. Okay. I mean, you can do that too. I'll write rules for that. That'll be in the special. That'll be in the alt. That'll be in the appendix in the back. With the every time you push dread, uh, take a uh, quarter gram. There you go. That's the rule. So by the end of the session, you should be uh, well on your way. Great. So all of our all of our games now have optional drinking game rules attached to them. Mm-hmm. I. I I pr I promise. No, I can't promise that. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say I promise that I won't release anything that that has uh that has uh explicit drinking rules. But then I realized I don't think I'll ever release anything, so I cannot speak about the demon that would release products that may exist in the future. I cannot make promises for that entity because I have no nothing of them. <laughs> oh, you escaped this time. So, just to, uh, because we've probably deviated the fastest I think we ever have from our initial topic. Um, That's true. It's a record. Let's it's so down and mark it off because, of chalk. It's not true because uh, there was a distinct, uh, I think it was the world building episode where uh, we were one sentence in and talking about, uh, God, what was it? Talking about like uh play uh god what was it player guidelines before we even introduced the the, the topic. I'm trying right. to remember what episode it was, but I have just a very distinct memory of what what uh we announced the topic and then we immediately start talking about something that is only vaguely tangentially related. Well, this is this is getting pretty close. So uh so in terms of what we can do for um designing a game that has uh, guidelines or some kind of section that can help guide setting creation or development. Um, what are examples that we can kind of point to um, games that are currently- Well, there's a really good one that is exemplifies this topic and does it really well. Mm -hmm. uh, I, we've talked about it on this podcast a lot, but I feel like it's still worth coming back to. Uh, there's this lovely questionnaire in this game called Praxis Arcanum that Aww. does a really good job of setting up how you should interact with the setting and what types of things that you should define that will help make it uh, flow naturally. But uh, I think it's available on H.io. Yeah, it is, it and is. Uh, you should get it and play it because it's good, and it's probably the best version of that that I've seen too. So That's so sweet. Thank you, guys. Uh, so It's not I, for I, you. What? Yeah, no. <laughs> um, so, so I can talk a little bit about what my game does. Um, Praxis has uh, a section within it that you start every session with. This is part of your session zero, where you um, discuss what elements you want to have existing in your game. And there's a questionnaire that walks all the players through um, the different parts of the setting that will construct your game experience. 
So at the core of it, it's still a um, sort of an adventure game that you go on, but by answering the questions of um, who is who are the major players, what are the major uh, elements of your setting, how does what's the weird aspect, what's the supernatural thing that's existing that has shaped the world in some strange way, um, and by getting the players to answer this and develop it. Um, you get to come up with a very unique setting. These are all the elements that will come back throughout the game. Um, so the, the questionnaire really does help build the initial setting that you can start and launch your game into. And it's been pretty crazy for me to be able to take that framework and bring it to uh, one-shot events where I just get to go to a convention. I have no idea what game I'm going to be playing, and I just get to run through this questionnaire, build a setting with people at the table, and run a game all in the space of two to three hours so it, it does do i feel a pretty good job of um creating that setting right off the get-go and it makes it a pretty consistent way of just saying these are the elements that we're going to care about in the context of what praxis arcanum is out to deliver yeah um and <clears throat> by way of example when uh, jonathan and i did it uh our setting was a desert setting uh, where you piloted around skiffs trying to avoid these religious nutbags that tossed children into sandstorms because the children were the ones that were uh, not vulnerable to psychic attack by the, their mind readers. It was like this was, I mean, it was a great, it was a setting that like as soon as we got done designing it, I was like, I immediately want to play in this. I mean, we didn't have time, but it would have been, it would have been great. Like I, I was immediately excited. Like it did its job. And that that's and got out of the way, and that's all you want from something like that. Um, yeah, yeah. If, awesome. if you weren't my friend, I'd be extremely jealous. <laughs> now, note there's a couple of good things that was mentioned in there. So you've already set up like a faction with potential NPCs in it, both mm -hmm. you know good and bad ones. So like potentially kids you need to rescue and potentially like the religious zealots. You also have like the terrain and the type of setting and the type of technology that you're going to be expecting to run into. This is a lot of information in a very short span that you just said. And this is kind of what I was trying to get at with the topic is like getting this kind of information out there where it's you're not just building the basics of the world but also setting it up in such a way that like the gm and the players can basically build upon it very quickly and intuitively yeah, yeah uh what this is what i interpreted this topic as and catrice you are welcome to correct me is this is less about uh putting little details in your game and more about how do you engineer put uh the gm and players to ask the right questions about the setting and give like ask questions that will actually make actually be meaningful instead of just data points that are make no sense out of context i don't yeah. know how to phrase yeah, it yeah that's a good way to put it like yeah a lot of what i'm trying to get at or what i was trying to get at is the idea of like what are you going to put into the the game as a designer that will actually make the players be interested in the world and it'll make the world feel 
fairly realistic, or at least not break the willing suspension of disbelief kind of thing. Yeah. Like, it doesn't have to be perfect, but, you know, put, like, you've got a a setting there that you just described that it's like, okay, there's there's an explanation for why they are doing this. It may not be a particularly great explanation, but I mean, t- to the zealots' minds, it makes perfect sense, right? It It's reasonable enough that you can see people actually doing this kind of thing. Right. And even just creating the opportunities, like Kivor mentioned, of asking the questions. So we say this is a faction that's important in our setting. There are a bunch of questions that could come from that. So how did they get to be this important? How big is it? Um, and the game definitely encourages the the game master, the facilitator, to be able to ask those kinds of questions when you're developing it. So you kind of flesh out the story a little bit as you're going through the questionnaire, but these elements become things that are uh, interactable over the course of play and are mutable. They can change um, and you add to them and build to them. So this kind of, um, I think even just the act of being able to create the setting from the get-go gives players a lot of um, power or um, buy-in from the get-go of saying, I can affect what the world is like. I can make this claim or statement of, oh, I'd like my world to have, um, I don't know, this this element. Uh, maybe this is how magic works, or maybe there's this new element that's been being discovered and uh, we're able to harness it for magic. And just being able to throw that out, I think gives players a lot of buy-in and leeway to create the story as they move forward. Yeah, so specifically in this particular case, this is covering a one of the more um, blatant ways to do this is actually just ask the players mm-hmm. and the GM oh. to define these things. It's like, okay, here's there's something really weird about this setting, something either magical, supernatural, or really high tech, or something that is not normal. What is it kind of thing? It's pretty straightforward about this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, there are other ways of doing this as well. Like the straightforward is just asking the question is one way to do it. Another one that comes to mind is like the way Shadowrun does it for the most part, where like so much of the stuff as you're going through reading any of the books, like it's things said by the actual characters in the books like Mm, a lot of the information is said by a character that lives in like this world and they're describing the world in ways that are just like normal to them like this is the kind of stuff that i run into on a regular basis kind of thing so just setting it in that way it's like they don't even ask a direct question they just say this is part part of the setting basically and because i just happened to be mentioning it in a way that it it feels like oh yeah that's something that deserves to be there yeah one of the things that was really great about the shadowrun second edition books was uh in their sidebars were basically forum posts going back and forth about the gear or like some whatever the, the event was or like the characters and some of them were really like really funny like they were really good. They made the books really enjoyable to read. 
because like there'd be like the Ruger Warhawk and it's like the forum posts are like this gun is for posers <laughs> like <laughs> it's the best one in the book right and it's like everybody in the forum is just like shitting on it uh and it's, it's <laughs> and it's like the same thing with like the monowire whip is like yeah wait to just I've I've seen this go wrong so many times like somebody pulls one of these things out and like he's just one less arm like <laughs> uh it's it's just uh man those I miss those like they were so that was such an interesting way of conveying the tone uh you know because it was very much based on like the future projected from 80s usenet groups not <laughs> not an actual like technologist's future it was really kind of um I, you know it, it it's it's regrettable in some sense i think that they've sort of had to incorporate modernity into it i, don't I think but... i think Sh shadowrun second edition like with it's like you had to plug in your deck <laughs> stuff uh was just it just had some it the feel of it was very 80s cyberpunk not cyberpunk as we know it now is like there's modern cyberpunk which is totally different because modern cyberpunk is like all about informational stuff and it's it's it there's a totally different feel to its dystopia and the 80s one was really pro-corporate but it was still it was dystopian on a different vector i i don't know i can't i can't precisely define really how it how that is but like i feel like there there is a distinct tone to the 80s shadow run that i kind of miss because it was just a little you know the same kind of tone that you get from the mechanical stuff in the original three star wars trilogies hmm. where it kind of felt like the 70s version of the future and then when you they they did the new movies they kind of updated everything and it felt all weird um because it was supposed to be older than than the first three movies but it looked way slicker and newer and it was just tonally it didn't work um and uh which is why rogue one was so good by the way best star wars movie hands there's down. some reasons um, for rogue one but yeah. to, to get back to what you were saying uh -huh. the example you gave of like mm -hmm. i've seen this goes wrong so many times where somebody pulls out like a monofilament whip and they're missing an arm like this is basically a hint to the GM right there. Like the first thing that I thought of when you'd said that was like, they're gonna meet like a weapon shop owner and he's gonna be missing an arm. And it's like, <laughs> and it's like he can't, he's waiting on you to buy stuff so that he can afford to get, you know, the cyberware replacement. So he's literally just like one arm Jack or something kind uh -huh. of thing. And this is like, something that you can put into like a storyline pretty easily and it's like pcs are gonna be like people have cyberware they have like replacement arms why is there a guy with only one arm there must be a story behind this mm -hmm. and someone's gonna ask because they will like in in reality people are a little more iffy about that kind of thing but in a game it's like we yep. need to know we need to know. We have to ask. Uh, yeah, you can't say, just Yo. put the guy there without an arm. It's like, right. okay, so, um, yeah, there's, in the, if anybody asks to test out any of my weapons, 
from this point on? The answer is no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or maybe he keeps getting cyber armor replacements and like the mono wire just keeps taking it off. You know, he just has to get new ones. But he loses it at different points in the arm. So it's just maybe he's yeah. got like three stacks. He's got like three stumps deep of like cyberware. <laughs> <laughs> They just have to keep replacing the shit. Uh, yeah. And runs the insurance company. <laughs> of course, that's the scam. See, there, there you go. There's the pro-corporate dystopia coming back up. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, nice. Nice. See, nice. that I, I would play in a Shadowrun campaign if, if Sabrina was running it, but like only if she used totally different mechanics. <laughs> standard thing Shadowrun always have to mention is the best game to play not in Shadowrun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh uh, yes. I wonder Anywho, what... back to oh, setting. Yeah. Oh right. Uh, I was just gonna ask the question of I wonder which one of the three different uh, Shadowrun esque uh, F Arch in the Dark games actually ended up being the best because I did, haven't checked back on them. Um, but oh, I don't know. Good question. I know uh, Hack the Planet was really cool. I haven't actually played it, but the book is great. Uh, yeah, I, I, I wasn't referring to Hack the Planet. I was referring to the ones that are specifically both magic and technology that don't interface cleanly. Because there's three of them that are like that. Although, <laughs> oh yeah, there's there, there was Shadow World. That was that the Apocalypse World one, uh, or Sixth World. Sorry, I, I'm trying to remember. They're specifically Fortune in the Dark ones because I know there's one that just is Shadowrun with the serial numbers falling off. I never got what it's called. And then there was Karma in the Dark, which is something completely different now. Uh, which <laughs> which had the best create your own dystopia. Uh, setting guide that I've seen, but some of its other mechanics were iffy. And uh, there's oh, what was the stripped down version that I played for a bit called Runners in the Shadow? Is the one that's just Shadow Run. The the thank you for that, right. Sabrina. Um, uh, the the third one I was talking about uh, is oh god, I can't. Uh, remember its name now, and I feel bad because it's the one I've actually played. Uh, <laughs> give me a second; I'll I'll get back to you on that one. Not no, not neon black, although neon black might also be one of them. Oh, give me a second; I need to actually look it up. Because I mean, I did really, really catalyst should just bring these guys in house at this point. This is ridiculous, dudes. Like seriously, <laughs> like. I'm sorry, like I know guys at Catalyst. Like, but uh <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, I mean <clears throat> I remember sixth edition had like two pages of errata on the first on on, on on like before it came out or something like that. It was it was pretty what was it? Something bigger than that. Am I, am I am I underselling it? I think Kat, you told me about that. Anyway, about what? The the Shadowrun uh, Sixth Edition had a ton of errata before it came out. I don't even remember. Um, Ten pages. Oh, okay. I was selling it short. Shit. By uh, uh by, 
by a bit. Wow. That's... That is sad. No, that's, that's, that's correct. 6R, yep. Uh, I remember I... the name uh, in which we live and breathe is the third one I was referring to. In which Sorry. We live and breathe. Okay, cool. Well, there you go, people. If you love Shadowrun and don't, uh, and, or if, you know, if you want to try some different mechanics, I'm not saying you have to uh, dislike Shadowrun's mechanics even to try any of these games, but if you want to try something different, I would strongly recommend clicking that link right there. Uh, you probably can't click it in the YouTube thingy, but you can type it in, more or less. You can Google it. Come on, people. This is the future. Back to setting. Yeah. Um, so how do these, Kevor, the game that you played that is Shadowrunny, how did it kick the setting off? Uh, so, uh, I don't have the official rules up because the version of the official rules I have is currently not out. My computer's not happy with it. Um, but basically, it had you, it, it had a ground out uh, approach where it basically, you define the city you lived in and the implications of the event that caused uh, magic to inflict the world and basically uh, st started top down with, okay, sorry, how do I phrase this better? Um, it was very concerned with like how the how both the cybernetics affect people and how the magic affects people and how this and how neither of these actually uh improve life for the general populace it, <laughs> uh how people how the tools managed to stay in the hands of those in power or just shift two was in power without actually fixing anything. Uh, I forgot the exact details of how it did it, and I'm really annoyed about that right now, actually. I got it. <clears throat> I'm uh, looking at it on the on the feed here. Mission effect. Okay. So it looks very much like very much like Blades in the Dark. Uh... Yeah, I specifically said these are three yeah. Blades in the Dark hacks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, oh okay, wow! It strains a little easier on you. Yeah. Uh, it it uh, the main thing it does in terms of mechanics uh, is it is more a lot more is it's stripped down in some ways and in some ways that I don't actually entirely uh, appreciate. But um, the other thing is that it does that uh, that it focuses on is community resources rather than individual resources because mm -hmm. of what the game's trying to frame. Right. Uh, it, yeah, it's... So... Hmm. It's it's less defined than... This is, like, probably actually the farthest from being traditional Voice of the Dark in a weird way, but it is all, it is definitely a Fortune of the Dark game. Just... Huh. Yeah. Cool. Interesting. Okay, so we're going to have to look at Rob here as well because you have to set up your setting in such a way mm -hmm. that there's things like, you know, the whole end of the world spells, 
kind of had the whole apocalypse going on. You have uh, things like, you know, the dead rising. You have sort of a mist thing going on that's messing up the world as well. You have like all these other things. So how do you go about like setting it up for like the GM to actually present this information to the players or hint at them for as new information comes up, like the players go to a completely new area in the game for some reason. Mm-hmm. New area in the game world, they haven't set it up themselves like they did their starting area. What kind of information do you have for the GM to be like, okay, here's some stuff to basically get you started? Uh, the kind of things that you should probably be considering when you're setting this up. Well, that's a really good question. So typically one of the one of the principles of the game is that there's um that there's going to be a polarity and that there's going to be um some sort of uh <clears throat> some sort of oppositional force to whatever the players uh establish. So when when you start off uh one of the things i do is i give i am it looks like i am taking the idea of the playbook and just logically extending it out as far as it'll go and just turning it into a literal book that you write in which is i going to be like i think just something you print out and then you fold over and staple um and there are some things there are some challenges I'm I'm experiencing with exactly what that looks like because there there's a really cool thing I can do with it, but I can only do it if I rely upon the GM to sort of undertake an arts and crafts project before. Um, oh, um. Yeah, I can see that being an issue. Yeah, so it's it's a, I mean it's not it's not a big arts and crafts project, but it is it would involve like um, paper and tape at the minimum. Oh dear, <laughs> oh dear. I mean, I have played a game that uh, in order to play properly, I would need to be at a physical table and have several household old objects. But that was a bit of a but that was a bit intentional. Like that was a bit sideways. From like, how should I phrase it? That that game and its rituals were part of like its aesthetic. So it's a bit, and like it's a game where that where I can say it's part of the aesthetic, and I think that's somewhat different than Ashes the Magi. If you get what I mean, um, maybe I don't know. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's not that different. Um, yeah, for the for the record, that uh, God. I need to remember the name of that game now. Give me, I am, I've been doing that a lot this episode. You just, need, you just need to get a big Google spreadsheet of all the shit you played. And then, then you can go back and, and like, oh yeah, I had this, this opinion about it. it oh God. <laughs> I, that, that would be terrifying because that would... There are a lot of reasons why I don't want that to, document to exist. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, I'm still not convinced oh, okay, that so... Rob's art program, uh, art project is not going to be like a bunch of cork boards with like pins and string all across the room. I mean, it, it kind of went through that phase. Uh, <laughs> it, it it may yet. Uh, I don't know. It it it's it's in flux right now. It's still in flux. It's you know like the. Um, I mean, the, the thing that's working right now best is is structuring it like a a a the the character sheet is structured like a a book. I don't know what I don't know if the book is going to be one for the table or one per character it feels like it's going to be one per character right now um or one per player sorry not per character uh and the way i establish that is i have prompts in there and i have text that is um that just sort of sets it up and establishes what happened and a little bit of what the world was like before and what the magic's like, and then let's you keep going, but you keep asking, you keep asking, you can keep asking the setting questions as you progress. That's the whole point. You did the the opening just sort of starts you on the questioning process. Um, so when when the question of magic comes up, uh, I have a list of twelve uh, arcana that are specific. To the setting they're kind of fixed but their contents is not that fixed so you can they're they're broad thermal magic is one so hot and cold is one thing so you can imagine all kinds of social benefits that you could accrue from magic that did that and all you then have to do is like what 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 was the spell that uh what was the most useful spell that anybody in the town knew for thermal magic, right? <clears throat> that that helps the most people. And you could say, oh, an air conditioning. Air conditioning. <laughs> Perfect example, right? Okay. So what would they how would okay, now take air conditioning and just ratchet it up to an apocalypse spell. <laughs> and you can see what happens. You just it, it just excises all heat from an area, like in an instant. It just flash freezes something. Uh like dry, dry ice. Or uh, like you know, um, astronauts. Hits absolute zero. Yeah, just all all molecular motion stops. What does that look like? Well, I don't know, but that's what I'm asking the players. Is like come up with the craziest thing you can imagine, and then inflict that on yourself. <laughs> that, that and then and then how'd that scar you? Uh, you know, you maybe maybe uh, you have like an ice arm. Or maybe uh, maybe you exhale icy breath, you know, and or maybe it's just cold everywhere you are, or maybe you're warm now because cold never touches you, or you know, take take a. I mean, that would suck yeah. if you were always hot. <laughs> like... Yeah, but like really hot, like burn through chairs hot. No, no, I just mean like you are normal temperature because mm. you're just going around like normal person but to you it feels like you're sweltering hot all the time because you just came out of an area that's freezing cold and that is like what you consider to be normal now okay that would be really unpleasant 
<laughs> yeah, that would be really If you want to play that character, you go right ahead, cat. I hope everybody that... else likes parkas, because I'm going to change everything around me to suit my comfort level. <laughs> Game allows for this specifically. <laughs> it actually has incentives for you to do it and gives you the consequences. <laughs> Anyhow, parka meta. Parka, parka. That's a cool name for a band. Parka meta. <laughs> Anyway, back to settings. So, uh, yeah, I have I have seeds. I have like common themes that show up in in the world of ashes, and then I ask the players to color in, or maybe outside the lines. But here's here's the here's I I, I give them a basic structure to kind of go along with or 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 pitch. Um, uh, you know, it, it's I give less. My aim is to give less than what Blades in the Dark does. Sorry um, to interrupt again. Go for it. But uh, I, I finally remembered the game. The game is Sleep Away. And the reason... Oh, right. <laughs> I could have told you that. You could have just said the one with the corkboard. <clears throat> sleep Away. Yeah, Sleep Away has a corkboard. It also has, it also has you occasionally lighting fires. Mm-hmm. Because you physically conduct uh, rituals to do some to do the major rituals, they all have like a little physical component, and it's very cute for what it's trying to do. But it is extremely, it is extremely like you could. Uh, it knows it's an indie game, and uh, if it didn't know it, it would it would not require that. Is what I'll say. Is that a fair statement? I mean, it's a fair statement. It's also kind of an inside-out one, but sure. Yeah, I got you. Yep. So they had the part of my book which says tear out a couple of pages and set them on fire, except they actually mean it. Uh, kind of, yeah. See, I was being facetious in mine and just making like a joke at the very start of the book that if you take this seriously, then maybe you shouldn't be playing the game. Because <laughs> I basically give like really basic instructions for like holding like a satanic ritual just specifically to poke fun at like you know the satanic panic thing where people are like mm -hmm. oh no role playing games are pure evil <laughs> which which one <laughs> anyway uh yeah, no, that game definitely has literal rituals in it, which is cool and fun and definitely what it's trying to do. Um, that is kind of cute. Yep. It does make it hard to play online, though. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I don't I don't think Ashes is... I, don't, I, I struggle with that. Because it's very... I mean, for me, the don't, optimal... Don't, don't bother to design it for it. Uh, unless Ashes goes in a very sideways way, of, I can... To tell you how to run it online, uh, if it becomes if it becomes the game where you need uh, where you need physical salt, then then we can talk. But in its current iteration, <laughs> it, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm 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 sure people will try to do anything with it. I'm not, but you know, like there's games that are easier to do that, and there are harder games, you know. And then there's I'm sure there's ways. Here's the thing. I'm not going to make that a consideration at this stage. Once it's once the structure's done, 
and I I can it and it can successfully loop through itself. Um, then then I'll see about what how to support how to support that the best way. Um, so yeah, I I I I'm not gonna I'm not gonna make that a consideration at this point. I'm not gonna make electronic play a consideration. Uh, I'm just 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 to keep myself focused. Good idea. Yeah. I'd say it might be not a terrible idea to at least have a little bit of thought into the future. Just oh yeah, to be I mean there's <clears throat> yeah yeah I mean there's things you can do like have have easy read PDF versions of the book and stuff like that. Like that's that's stuff I already do. That's just layers, you know. Or just, just stuff like stuff. if yeah. you're going to use a program like Fantasy Grounds or Roll20 to name a few, like, um, is it compatible with these at all? Even a little bit? Like, is there a major glaring flaw that you cannot do this remotely for some reason? I don't think like so. That, I mean, the as kind long of as you have I... some sort of like, oh, yeah, go ahead. But yeah, no, I mean, as long as you have some sort of a, a notepad thing or um and you can roll d10s probably not a big deal like it's really like yeah. you need like a, like a whiteboard that everybody can see is the main is the main yeah thing. that's so, actually easier to do online than in person yeah. so yeah that's true <laughs> yeah so that's fun but this is something that like for any designer like do keep in mind that you know the internet is kind of a thing and it's like yeah you might be used to playing like first edition D, &D. like you might be a total grognard or whatever like that's that's fine just if you're making your game keep in mind that people are probably not gonna be right next to each other or people move away it happens mm -hmm. but they yeah. might still want to play with their same friends so they might just move the game online so do keep in mind that there are tools that people use for this kind of thing. Just consider, even briefly, if there's anything in your game's design that prevents it from being run out of anything other than in everybody physically sitting at the table kind of thing. Usually, it's usually not something you need to worry about. Yeah. Um, there, I mean, there's okay. So games that would be where where that is a consideration is, is things like um, uh, Dread, where you have a Jenga tower. Uh, Dread, and... Dread, uh, you, you could technically play online if you if you if everybody's willing to uh, abide by uh, what's that what's that the tabletop simulator? But I feel like Dread works infinitely worse on tabletop simulator. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's another game I can think of, but I don't think we're supposed to mention that anymore. Rob gets busy about it. <laughs> Which one? Uh, for the one Fred brought up. Don't worry about it. Cavarnos. Cavarnos. <laughs> God damn it. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. No, you definitely can't play the. Actually, you could probably play that one on tabletop simulator too. Uh, but that's beside the point. <laughs> I don't know if you can. We are I, okay. We'll just have to. I mean, if, if, let the mermaids touch your dick, maybe. Is that the one <laughs> that we're talking about? Where, you, where it's it's ring toss with a dildo, I believe, or something like that. 
No, it's got oh, like it's one of those sticky rubber hands. hands. Oh, rubber yeah. hands. Yeah, you remember those ones from like right, uh, right, right, right. that you'd get it from like those uh, dollar capsule thing from the uh, mm-hmm. from the supermarket when you're kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah those. I was trying not to say it by name. You mentioned uh, it for me, so it's okay. Wow. <laughs> Moving back to talking about uh I setting. wonder how that game does setting. All right. Never mind. <laughs> I don't care. Uh point is Oh that Jesus. Sorry. The setting does cover more than just like the setting in terms of you know the actual locations present. So we have things like the NPCs, like we mentioned, like, you know, the Shadowrun NPC with only one arm for reasons unknown kind of thing that you kind of want to ask why. It's like anything that you have that you're building into the game. Like if there's something that as the game designer, you want to be part of the setting or something that you want settings that players create if it's a setting agnostic game like uh marks where he's like okay yeah there's going to be something weird in this setting what is it it's not just the physical locations you have the npcs you have technology you have uh anything else like daily uh rituals religions factions like there's so many different things like that to consider so what are some of these other things that might be influenced by like uh by the game designer themselves and be put into the book i think it's a lot about just focusing on what vectors you want um your players to be interacting with um like even the example that you said at the very beginning that like adventurers guild it's before the adventurers uh, economy it's because that should play an important role in what players are interacting with or in what um, is uh, a central idea in your game. And that some settings might not need it at all, or it doesn't matter. Um, but if it becomes important, if you want these players to be competing or uh, I guess understanding the scope of what they're doing, I think it is important to to have these as avenues for the players to flush out. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So like anytime, like anything that would be important to the nature of what this game is about or exactly. what the settings core concepts is or are, then yeah, it's like if you don't have anything in the game that actually you know has the players interacting with the core concept of the game that's a little bit awkward isn't it like it just being weird that it's like oh yeah this game's all about like you're going to be a mercenary also there's nothing in the game about actually you know making money from the jobs that you do like Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, or or in Shadowrun, there's very very little about um, there's very little mechanism of how bad your life gets if shit hits the fan. 
it's sort of up to the GM to start screwing you over. Whereas like, I feel the way Blades in the Dark does that. Like there's it, the, 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 the heat mechanic and the way, um, the way trouble sort of finds you in that game feels much more, puts you in a much more desperate spot consistently, which is something I feel like Shadowrun is supposed to do, but doesn't, I feel way more powerful in Shadowrun. <laughs> I, I have this weird thing where I don't feel as powerful in Shadowrun, but I, but if I feel like as long as I am not on a mission, I, I am big, uh, uh, the only thing that can hurt me is arbitrary GM fiat. So I am basically uh, yeah, right, yes, okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, right, exactly, yeah. It's like the dice aren't going to screw me here. It's going to be some story thing that I can't get out of, or yeah, okay. Hmm. I can kind of see that, especially with Shadowrun. Like, there's almost always some kind of thing where it's like oh well you did this mission and you did it successfully of course the person that you stole from that you didn't look into their background contacts enough happens to be like connected to one of the mega corporations they have a lot of resources at their their command and this is basically a shell company that they're running to you know, embezzle funds. They're not happy with you basically ruling their embezzlement. You're going to have a lot of problems in the near future because they're going to show up at your door directly. And it's not going to be the kind of people that show up at your door that you can contact, you know, the police about and say, yeah, could you actually arrest these people? It's going to be the kinds of people that the police are like, (laughs) click. (laughs) <laughs> yeah I feel like there's a non-zero chance where they're the type of people where if you call the police on them uh, that gets you put on a hit that gets the police to come over to you and shoot you in the face but that could just be <laughs> how I see it but anyway yeah that does can also happen but it is it is the point that I mean shadow run so like either the police are completely ambivalent they do they have no interest in it they're not they're just kind of lethargic about whether they're going to do anything for you it's like yeah that takes effort and it might be a risk to us no do as you said well i guess we're going to have to arrest you for you know bad mouthing these perfectly upstanding members of the community. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, or not having not buying a uh uh a sin in the in the core way from the uh equipment section. Mm-hmm. Because I... like <clears throat> anytime you use the phone and you're like, oh they know where you are unless you have a fake sin. Haha, you didn't spend a thousand dollars. Whoops. Yep. It's so goofy. Just put that stuff in the character sheet, man. Like, you have a fake sim. Cool. Because any, who wouldn't have that as a Shadowrunner? Right. Bruh. What? Yeah. That seems why like... So many, why so many gotchas in character creation? Stop it. 
It's ridiculous. Okay, I'm I'm off my soapbox now. For now. <laughs> yeah, but it that does seem to be kind of an issue with Shadowrun in the sense that it's like this is basic stuff that anybody who wants to be a Shadowrunner would know this information. You would just have these basic tools available by default. Otherwise, you wouldn't even try to start because yeah. you know you'd be dead like within the first week. This is not worth the effort. I guess in some ways that is the learning curve or setting that they want to establish or that the game might have wanted to establish. Well, I don't think it's fun. Um, I think there's something to say about the experience of like, okay, you've played your game, you've gotten tracked because you're um, whatever they found you without your fake sin number, and now you start over again. Um, and you're the better version of yourself. Like you're the version of uh, that was a year younger and saw this other gang get eliminated because they didn't have fake sins. So now you've learned that lesson. Um, and yeah. that might tell you something about the, the world and the complexities of it, that these are just the facts that you need to know to survive. Um, with something like Shadowrun, I don't think it works as well if you have such a huge investment in character creation. Like if that was a, a shorter learning curve, um, then people would be a little bit more accepting of it. Like if it's um, like a roguelike. It goes you... five minutes to make a character instead exactly. of like, you know, five hours. Exactly. Where you get to learn a lesson. Four weeks. Right. <laughs> yeah. I spent Boy, four that, weeks I could hear that I've done this yeah. in just that tone of voice. Yeah. <laughs> So it, it is something about the setting. I don't know that it really works as intended, but um, that is a way of building the setting as well, is just letting players run into the brick walls that you've set up uh, I don't as, a, as a game designer. Like that's but, pure meta design that, that does right. kind of bug me because it's like, this is meta knowledge that the players have, not the characters, and the characters should have this knowledge. I, yeah, if the characters like got to this level of advancement where they're starting the game, mm -hmm. they have. I mean, like it doesn't make any sense unless they've got X, Y, and Z. They have underworld contacts. They have cover identities. They have a hidey hole where they're not already caught. Duh. Uh, and uh, they have weapons because they can defend themselves, and they have the basics of their skill. Thing. like they have like rudimentary stuff i mean it's it i mean it, this is what plays in the dark cut right it's just like here's the stuff on the sheet that your character would have and you can define some more stuff but this is like par for the course like you can do a lot and you can do a lot by uh in informing the setting with the equipment list right like plays in the dark you, what the hell is a lightning hook and then you look, and you're like, mm -hmm. and then you 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 make you you put something in the setting for the players to be like, oh, that's interesting. I don't. Yeah. What's a ghost? Battle? What you know? What like? All right, are we play? Are we play? Are we playing Ghostbusters? Or is that what this game is? Like, I'm down for Ghostbusters, basically. Uh, I mean, kind of. Yeah. Right. <laughs> 
Two of my three. Two. Oh no. One. I mean, you one. are playing a gang, and a gang does need to have like a name. So you could name yourselves the Ghostbusters. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because uh, you haven't uh, read the book. Uh, <laughs> there are explicit Ghostbusters references in the in the item list of Blades in the Dark. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm okay yeah. with this. It's the weird. It's a bit weird, honestly, but it's fine. <laughs> it's actually cool, but <laughs> yeah, I think it's great. I mean, it, it it it's fun because it actually like once the players kind of notice, uh, it it it's cool because then it's like, oh, we were playing Ghostbusters. <laughs> I get to be a Ghostbuster because I get I have a lightning hook that puts a ghost in a bottle and then I can shoot the ghost of somebody, basically. Uh, that's that's fun to do. That's that's a great part of that game. Um, but that's on the character sheet. That's a bit of the setting that's built in to the player's UI, and that's that shit's important. Like, you know, I'm taking that further because like I'm building more of the setting into the UI. But I think it's I think I think the playbooks are a good move. I think their I think their current implementation is somewhat overly constraining. In most cases, I think they're not Mad Libsy enough, uh, and that's that's kind of where I'm going. But it it it's it, it's a good move of like, here's what's important to the setting, and here's what we want to focus on, and this is how we can deliver it. And then also having NPCs like hang out in the character sheet is a good idea. You know, have a couple starting out. That's fine. Um, I, I, you know, you know people. Like, you, nobody's an island. Like, everybody knows. Like, if you made it to 30, like, in Shadowrun, like, I, you know tons of people already. You know, like, a whole bunch of people who haven't screwed you over because you're alive. Right? Like, you're not at the very bottom in Shadowrun. There's, like, at least something around you and, like, the fact that you have to sort of pay for contacts out of starting points or it's a multiplier on your charisma score, I think, for basic contacts, then you can buy more and then you define them, but it's like you're defining them and you're not really sure what the parameters are, really. It's like, oh, a weapons dealer, that sounds like a good contact to have. And then also a drug guy, sure. But it's not like Whereas Blades in the Dark will be like, here's a succubus or a vampire or something like that. And uh, you go, oh, that's an interesting contact that I didn't would not have thought that that was a thing, but sure. And that's another way it builds the setting into the into the player's heads by uh, putting it in the UI, which is a good move, in my opinion. Yeah. And that's exactly what I was trying to get at with this thing. Like the idea of like, oh, you have a contact. It's a succubus. It's like, okay, this is something that you very well may not have even considered as an option. So building this right into the game's rules as like, this is a valid option. That's something that basically tells you about the setting that it's pretty straightforward. So even if you're not reading the book, because a lot of the players are not going to read the book, You'll get some who will, but it's something like 80% plus the players will never read the book. If they do, they might read their own class or race information or the equivalents thereof, but that's about it. So 
if you include even that information in like character setup, that helps a ton. Yeah, I mean, good, good species write-ups are good, are like succinct, succinct cat species write-ups are. Are, I know you uh, keep saying this word, but I haven't looked up what it means. I, I have no awareness of this concept. Uh, uh, um, <laughs> the, you know it's bad because Catrice just admitted that she doesn't know what a word means. And that, that's, that's... No, I know exactly what it means. <laughs> yeah, I'm I know, choosing I, to I, ignore I, its <laughs> definition. <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> um, succinct species write-ups can, can do a lot to, to, to put a setting in context for players. Uh, I, I think, uh, I don't know, there's a level of detail that I find really interesting um, just to read about because I like reading about fictional species. It's, it's, it's just kind of interesting to me. I, I, I like, do you guys ever see that book, Barlow's book guide to aliens or something? What was it called? Oh, shoot, I don't know, I've got to look it up now. But that thing, I saw that when I was a kid, and it was like the craziest, had all these different weird monsters in it. Barlow's Didester Forever. Let's see. I don't know if you can see that, but it had like really weird shit in it. Like aliens with like nine limbs and stuff. Uh, it was just so interesting. I wonder if I can find some interior pages. This looked like a combination of like Star Wars and Gazillionaire kind of <laughs> creatures. But yeah, like you do see those kinds of things. Like there's a lot of uh, different things like that. Like you can buy books for Lord of the Rings or Star Wars or whatever. It was literally just a creature guide. Like these are different aliens or. Uh, these are types of demons that you're going to run across. And like, it'll go into detail describing like exactly what's known about like dragons in the setting or whatever. Yeah. That's what that book's like. It's like, um, yeah. there's like, it, it details like a couple of sci-fi, like uh, it, it, there's some, I don't know if they're all from fiction, but at least some of them are. And I recognize the, the tripods from the tripod trilogy. Um, uh i think the triffids from day of the triffids are in there too uh, but yeah and then i go the details their physiology and like how they breathe and the you know the their their particular gas exchange and stuff like that i find that shit interesting so i but on the other hand like as a player picking up a setting i also find it tedious if i have to know it you don't you generally don't have to know this information. Yeah. Like, this is stuff that, knowing about, like, different species in a game, it's like, it's not something your character needs to know. Maybe they, it would help if they know their own, but mm -hmm. the others you'll learn in, in context and play. Like, you'll run into something and find out the hard way that that was not its mouth. Uh, okay. Uh I'm not going or, into any further context. That's 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 fine. Um, that's exactly what I want out of that conversation. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the point is though that like these kinds of books are actually 
really popular, especially with people who like you know, RPGs. Like, why do you think the Monster Manual is one of the best? The D&D books. Because people just, like, even people that are not, like, the GM, they're not going to be using these for monsters to fight. It's mm -hmm. just, like, there's a lot of cool pictures about monsters, and there's a lot of random information about, like, completely random creatures. Like, people like this kind of information. You can put this information into the game in such a way that, you know, when you come across, like, whatever monster or race or whatever, even if it's, like, something basic, like, you know, stereotypical, like, elf or dwarf or something, like, if you put some basic information into your your game that references that, yeah, they, dwarves evolved from freaking cows, and they have, like, four stomachs for processing, not, uh, not grain anymore, but grain-based alcohol, and that's why it takes so much to get them drunk. Like, just throw something like that in there, and that actually does kind of give enough information. Like, even if it's like a one-line throwaway comment, it's enough that a GM can actually take advantage of that and use it. Mm -hmm. That's canon now in any any D and D game I've run. Dwarves have four stomachs for alcohol. That's perfect. That makes so much sense. Wow. Oh, <laughs> I I prefer my dwarves to be made out of rock, but that works too. Oh, cool. Yeah, rock dwarves also also cool. Yep. Yep. Do you have any of the other suggestions for how? Um, to construct settings in terms of designing the game. Well, let's see. We got UI, right? We got creaturey stuff. I mean, where where does the um... hmm? I mean, there is, and we were talking about physicality as well, mm -hmm. um, because there are some games where that's that that plays a pretty high factor that's a pretty high factor their physicality like really matters um well i don't okay maybe i won't say it really matters but it it it's highly considered by the designer i'll put it like that um like invisible sun oh. is highly considered by the end designer it's a very how uh, do you mean physicality in the sense uh i will okay so invisible sun is a big box yeah i can't i can't spell right now is that's odd okay the police that's a song by the police parent rpg there we go so it's a big cube thing all right there it is looks it's not quite showing up all that good yeah. Here we go. So it's a big cube. It's a big black box. Uh, I actually have this thing. Uh, I could go get it and put it on camera. But it, it's got all this stuff in it, um, including this hand that is only here to hold the card up. That's all it does. Right. <laughs> that holds up one of these, these circular cards. 
and those circular cards have like tarot sort of imagey stuff on them. And um, I don't know. It, the art's great. Very surrealistic. I love this kind of stuff. Um, I don't know what the game is really about. Uh, it looks kind it's of modern -y. Yeah. I don't know. Wait, so you have this $100 thing with all these parts in it, and you don't even know what the game's about. Nope. See, further, further evidence that players will pay for, like, the click-clack dice. Mm -hmm. They don't even care about the game as long as it's got, like, the shiny parts. Well, it was on sale when I got it, so I was like, ah, I want to see what this is like. So, uh, so I got it to see what it was like, to just, like, what is this thing? And I opened it and started trying to read it and it just didn't yeah, I don't know I just I was just like Jesus Christ I don't I don't know uh, it, it was it was just like too much it was like I don't even know where to start like there's there's four there's four books and I there's one of them is definitely the player's book uh but I don't know which one. <laughs> uh, and then one of them is definitely the GM book, and I also don't know which one. And I have opened them and tried to read them, uh, but they didn't really make a ton of sense because it was kind of like drinking from a fire hose. Now, that's uh, the impression ah. that I got from this game, too. And I think it's something to say about like the design of the game to sell the setting. Like part of it is the the I don't know weird hand thing, but it, it intentionally also does things where it obscures some information. Like I'm pretty sure there's a, a cipher um, that's like written in the margins of the pages. So if yep. you are able to crack the cipher, you're able to get a little bit more information. But it's definitely one of those games where the the design is intentionally somewhat obfuscating so that you as a player are either like hyper invested in figuring things out and you're uh engaged in the game in that way and have and bought in to what the game's about um in a in a different aspect like sort of in a physical sense of buy-in yeah i don't know that it's necessarily worked this is almost game. like the whole sunk cost fallacy mm. Like, oh, there's another term that's also similar, and I forget what it's called. But yeah, like I've poured this much time and effort into it, I must be having fun. It has to be good. <laughs> well, it's more that I think people like the the mystery of it, or the fact that there are things that are unknown, and that designing your game specifically to attract that kind of uh, audience of there's going to be mystery and there's going to be things that are um, odd or unexplained, I think can help sell what the game is going to be about. Yeah, it can. Like, I know that's, that's definitely, oh, I forget what it's called, but there's a, a thing several video games, and I'm pretty sure some tabletop games have done as well, 
where they'll set up like riddles or puzzles for people to solve in like reality like they'll mm-hmm. set up kind of things that people have to figure out on a meta level before yeah. it becomes released in the game like i would not be surprised if there's like an rpg that had like something like a riddle in the the pages of the book and you have to read through like every 37th page there's like another line to the riddle and then when you put all of it together it's like okay there's actually a riddle to solve here and it says to go on to the game's forums with the answer to the riddle and right. it's only when somebody gives the correct answer to the riddle that they say congratulations we're now releasing the uh the first expansion to the game also you get a free copy of it for figuring it out Exactly. Sabrina's uh, throwing out augmented reality games or alternate reality games where there's sort of the augmented reality. Part. That's what I was yeah. thinking of. Yeah, I yeah. forgot the term. So uh, something like the secret world did stuff like that as well, where some of the riddles in the game, you had to look up real world facts to be able to solve, um, like quotes from the Bible to be able to figure out what the, uh, the puzzle was trying to point you towards or something. The- um, the best I've seen done for that was one of the secret world ones because you had to figure out like Bible quotes and you had to check like locations with like actual coordinates, like mm-hmm. you know, on a map. Mm-hmm. But it was okay because in this particular game, they actually give you a cell phone with a working browser on it. Yeah. Like you're actually expected to use the browser. I actually thought that was pretty good. I don't think it would really work in a tabletop game, though. But I do think that it's an avenue that someone could explore and potentially find a way to work uh, something similar into being able to sell that that theme, that concept. Because I think it did work for The Secret World. Maybe it didn't work so well for um, the Monty Cook. But uh, I think that is an avenue to sell the... or to, um, to allow players to investigate what the setting is, is by making the physical form of the game something that reflects what the themes and settings are of the game itself. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think you could probably do it these days since almost everyone has a cell phone. Like, except me, I think I'm the only person in the world without now. <laughs> it's probably like, you know, starving kids in third world countries that have cell phones at this point, but whatever. So... One of the things they did do in Secret World that would work really well in a tabletop game is like one of the things that they set up were like you'd come across like an item in the game. It's like, oh, we need some information on this item. You see the item in the game world, you like pick it up, look at it, and it's like there's a serial number on it and there's like a website listed on it you can actually go to this mocked up website that they've set up that literally you just go to the website and look up the items on the list and get like detailed product information from it like you could do something similar to this in an actual tabletop role-playing game and i think it could work as long as it was set in a modern setting Maybe I uh, okay. 
I, I mean, mean if, I can see if, the appeal. I can see the if, appeal. If yeah. the players are already sitting around the table and they're tempted to pull out their phones, give them an excuse yeah. to be playing the game while they're on their phones. <laughs> uh, I guess, but like that's the thing. I just need to keep the players off their phones. That's the whole. I know it. it it's it's an alternative way to yeah. to deal with that, other than saying don't get on your phones in the first place. I don't necessarily think it's like the best way, but I think it's a way that somebody's yeah. probably going to explore soon. Of course. I'm, I mean, I, I, I'm pretty sure there are games that are... The thing about... So the thing about like integrating an app into an RPG is that there's so many technical hurdles. Um, and you have to keep you know, you maintaining to, it. Yeah, you have to maintain it. That's, I mean, that's that's probably the, the biggest technical hurdle. That's going to be the most expensive one because every time, we're, so, <laughs> uh, my partner and I are developing an app that that for um, for creating board games, and uh, the way, uh, so I've been looking into like app distribution and all this stuff. We're on we're on steam so that's good uh but we like to get on ios it's got there's so many more hurdles to jump through and every time every time they update ios like shit they just they just change shit they just change shit so like it's been different like in the year we've been doing it like stuff has already changed enough we're like we have to make changes to the code so like if there is an RPG that comes out and it promises to do this through an app, I will be extremely skeptical that an RPG will be functional in five years. Yeah, that's probably going to be an issue there. Yeah, It would have to be like a standalone thing. I don't know how else you do it. I mean, if you just had like, here's, here's an app that is an RPG. Yeah, but then that's, that's a video game. <laughs> I mean, but you could do it in such a way that it's a facilitator. Like, I've, I've thought about that for Ashes. I diagrammed some stuff that, like, oh, what if I turned it into an app that you played as, like, a, a near-field communication app? I mean, that could that could work. It would There would be some really cool stuff you could do with alternate reality. The, the dude I'm working with, like, has, like, is experienced with 3D scanning and AR stuff. Like, um, one of the things he was building for Adidas was... Uh, basically like a um one of those big tables that you can like bring up a 3d image of a shoe or whatever and rotate it like the salesperson be like hey rotate you know and all that stuff so he worked on stuff like that i'm like wow could we do this in the game he's like yeah sure fucking easy uh and i'm like what would that cost like he'd be like that probably runs about 300 grand a year like conservatively I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> okay, so that's like, that's like, we have to build a bunch of that shit and then take it to Kickstarter because otherwise it's not happening type type level. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that, that could be cool, but like that would be, or, or a, you know, a major game company would have to invest in something like that, like invest really heavily. And, you know, unless they got like a really good, narrative designer they would just be throwing money down a toilet because it, it, it would be incredibly difficult to build something like that that would be like 
that would that would meet like the high bar players would have of expectations for how something like that should work seamlessly that would just be i mean yeah it would, that that's an intensely tall order um so it'd be cool it'd be really cool but i i do not expect to see that anytime soon unless some some there's some huge leap in ai programming in the next you know iteration of of software where you know it, it where the ability to program complex stuff like that is like basically hooking modules together and it just sort of all does it by itself you know i mean there are people working on that kind of programming like structure now but it's way way above my pretty pay grade yeah Settings. Yeah, to bring it back, uh, actually, we've kind of been going on for about, well, I don't even know how long. When did uh, we start? Because we did start late. We did start late. It's been about 120. Yep. Let me see, how long is the screen there? Yeah. yeah, so any particular thoughts people have about things that you should include for prompts at the very least for the gm or the players for your setting what what game is this from is this uh from stone top looks kind of like stone top. oh no this is from uh i'm sorry that's from a quiet year i might misremembering oh to okay read off what Sabrina link because it's actually kind of not a bad idea. The thing for settlements, like it has a few quick mm -hmm. questions on it. It's like, what Hard purpose does it serve in your game? How big is it? Who lives there? What does it look, smell, and sound like? Who governs it? Who else holds power? Is it part of a larger state? I... What are its defenses? Like, these are not terrible questions. Like, some of them are not super important to answer but some of them i do like the fact that it has like what does it smell like because mm -hmm. a lot of the senses tend to get overlooked in games like it's a common thing for like games to just not mention like what your sensory input is like they might say what you see and that's it it's like what do you hear about going on around you what do you what does it smell like like if you walk past the wet market you kind of notice that you've walked past the wet market because there's like dead animals just laying out in the sun kind of thing it, it's hard to miss like the scent of like fish that's been out there for a day mm -hmm. yeah i describe spells like that uh the the italicized little uh uh bits in the front of the spells i just have sensory information and it's like quickening heart rate or you know the smell of jasmine or some you know i'll have a little a little bit like that just so there's an experiential angle to it because i think that's a little bit better than describing how to pull a spell off i just feel like i don't know in fiction that stuff seems to hook together a little bit better you know like if it, it, it's a different thing when a spell says uh it has verbal and somatic components 
And if the spell says, uh, when you finish casting a spell, you feel like you're going to throw up. Like, that's... Oh, that's a spell I've never cast. Right, yeah, exactly. There's like, it's the one that, it's, it's, uh, you know, maybe it's a rot spell, you know? I don't care. So, so... <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't care that, like, my character is not casting this. <laughs> anyway, so, but, but the experiential component is, is, uh, I think, something that can pull people in a little bit better. Smells are a good one, yeah, because it's a strongly tied to sense memory. Uh, yeah. I, I especially think that for species that are non-human, especially ones that are not just slightly different than humans, like it's not just an elf that's basically a human with slightly better at everything, but if you're looking at completely different species that are not on the same evolutionary path, like they probably have some senses that are better or weaker or they cover different areas like, oh, they see more into the ultraviolet range instead of more in the middle where we're at. So they'd be missing out on maybe the red end I mean, of the defi spectrum. Or defining where we what we see as visible light as the middle is. Uh... <laughs> I know, but this is, we're going to base everything based on humanity as the middle. Let's be fair. Like, the average human player who's going to consider humans to be average and normal, even if we're not. But this is useful information, as is things like extra senses we may not have, like one of the most obvious ones being, like, echolocation. Like, can you notice this on echolocation? You don't notice it on other senses, like... Just looking at it, it's like, oh, it looks perfectly normal because it's basically like, um, was it uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade? Was it where they had the bridge that was basically invisible? Mm -hmm. And it was, it was just shaded and basically painted to look like from the position that you were looking at it from because you had to walk up to it at this very narrow corridor and when you looked at it it just basically created an optical illusion that it looked like it wasn't there it was part of the wall echolocation you would have picked that up immediately and you would have known it was there so stuff like that i these are things that you might actually want to include when you're describing an area or the type of character that you're talking to, it's like, uh, yes, this player's character, they notice that this character, that this NPC that they're talking to is completely covered in like these glowing tattoos. Nobody else sees it that. Like, this is something that should probably be mentioned because it's kind of useful information to have how as the how do you okay so you have you have species in your game that have senses that are not standard quote yeah. unquote. how do you incent the gm to present things to those species like where do you put the gm 
Like, how do you how do you get them to think like you in that situation? Uh, there's a couple of ways. Um, one of the main ones is the GM is basically told to just have uh, a sheet listed which says what senses the characters have and what rank they are, so that it can determine what information they have access to. Because um, the players are listed as having basically a skill rank for things that they're consciously aware of and things that they're unconsciously aware of that they're just piecing together uh, subconsciously. So like um, the idea of one player might notice directly that it is eerily quiet, like they don't hear anything. The other character is just told it's it's unsettling. Something is wrong. You don't know what it is, but something is very wrong. And it's only if you they start comparing notes together or if you had a character that had both these skills up high enough that it'd be like, there are no birds chirping in the forest. There are no animal sounds. It is dead silent. These were present 30 seconds ago. So it's specifically uh, built into the game for that, for the GM to be like, you do not do like the equivalent of like D&D's perception checks. Anytime you check to see, okay, what do they notice is happening? You just check these two skills and what their senses are to see what they would have access to for information. So. Okay, so you kind of, okay. So if, if to put it in, in a certain kind of context, you sort of have a, you sort of have a, a, a passive, a couple of passive numbers and and then like a tag, a couple of tags, and then that's that's all the GM needs to go on. Yeah, it basically gives the GM all the information they need to know about what the players would be able to be aware of, and what they would actually notice. So, if there's a ghost right in front of your face, nobody has the ability to sense uh, magical stuff. It just walks in front of them. They don't. They don't see it, they can't smell it, they can't touch it. So they aren't aware it's there. If somebody can has like magical hearing, they might actually hear like the ghost wailing kind of thing, right? Hmm. Okay. So it's actually something that helps the GM build interesting things where one character will actually stand out over another because they can pick up information that the others physically are not capable of actually even recognizing is there. Right. Okay. Interesting. I thought so, anyway. <laughs> yeah. It's it's proven to be interesting so far in gameplay. I, I'll be I'd be really interested to see how another GM handles it. Because that's gonna be Yeah, that's something I'm looking yeah. forward to in the future yeah. to see if they do so as well. But like I said, this is something that through the playtesting that I've done it it's easiest to just have like all of your players senses like on like a little cheat sheet to decide mm -hmm. just so that you know what information they're going to have because you actually reference this fairly often like anytime you want to know like are they going to notice this 
then you know exactly who is going to notice it and to what degree and how they notice it. Like whether it's you just see the thing or if it's like you're not paying attention, but you kind of notice something, but you're not really sure what kind of thing. So, yeah, it's proven to be really useful for me so far, at least. When you do the, uh, you notice something, but you don't know what, is that a prompt to investigate further? Or is that sort of like a brick wall of like, you can't get more? Uh, it's meant mostly as a prompt. Okay. For like, like you sh like the way I've set it up is like, the game world is built in such a way that everything's basically custom built for the players unless they wander someplace they're not supposed to. Like, yeah, players never do that. Yeah, no. <laughs> But it's like, if if there is a dungeon that's created specifically for this one group, and it's not your group, and you wander into somebody else's dungeon, they'll tend to warn you at the start of it that, um, yeah, you're, you can do this. You might learn something from it, but it's not specifically catered to you, so you may run into things that you are not equipped to handle. Do so okay. at your own peril. Right. Hmm. Okay. But most of the game world is specifically built for them, so if it's like, if they encounter a dungeon, it's probably a dungeon that was specifically built for them specifically as individuals, so they already know what they can sense and such, so if there's a trap in there, it's a trap because they will specifically be able to detect it, this particular group. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Is, now, whether that individual bothers to tell the rest of their group that they noticed a trap, that's up to the individuals. <laughs> huh. How do you, so do you, do you, do you like DM people? Is that what, how do you do the, how do you do like the notify one player of a thing? Uh, the, um, the testing so far has been, online so i've just been sending private messages to people so mm -hmm. yeah that's okay. one way like in if you're playing it in person it'd be the equivalent of like writing something on a piece of paper and just lighting it over with the face down to the player mm -hmm. same kind mm -hmm. of concept it's like you notice this information do with it as you will mm -hmm. okay yeah it'd be nice to just be like the adults don't meta game with it as Serena pointed out but I've been in games where people have obviously done that like there was a map that GM had and they had a, a gap like they forgot to uh, remove one of the markers off the map so it, it very clearly had a trap there one of the other players just couldn't bring themselves to walk into the trap. They're like, no, there's something wrong here. I'm going to back off. My character ran straight forwards into it because they were excited to get to the next room. <laughs> Unfortunately, some people cannot avoid the metagaming thing. It's like, yeah, yeah, but I know it's a bad idea to do that. I'm going to feel terrible if I I basically walk to my doom, especially if this kills me when I knew it was there, kind of thing, right? Right, right, right. Yeah, there's some there's some players that can't like if there's a if 
if they see a tactical situation, they're not going to pick the bad move. Like, yeah. you know, there's a lot of games have conditioned yeah. them to do that too. Like, mm -hmm. we were yeah. talking about Shadowrun, it is very metagamey ish. Yeah. Like, if you're playing Shadowrun and you are not metagaming, then your character's not going to live very long. Pretty much guaranteed. I mean, there's a, it, it has dice that are metagame dice. I mean, edge dice or metagame dice. So, yeah. <laughs> Kinda. Um, yeah, exactly. I mean, I built a character in Shadowrun that was just eight edge dice. And like, Mr. Lucky, he could do eight impossible things a session. Um, so, which is fun, but kind of gimmicky. Mm. Uh, I mean, the concept's not terrible, but it's not really what I'm going for for like metagaming. I'd rather build things in such a way that you don't need to worry about the metagaming side of things. So, like, just don't tell people information that they don't have in, in character. Any final thoughts, anybody? I think we got to cover everything I wanted to bring up. Uh, I have no pressing thoughts at the moment. Good, good night, everyone. That's the... okay. Good night. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, good because night, everyone. Thanks for listening to Foil Forward. It's always and... night where you are always night where you are. That's right. Good night, y'all. Better be. Better be. If you're listening to this in the morning, you have to wait until night to listen to it. Make it's sure no, to set the alarm no, so you don't forget. You know, you, if you're listening to this in the morning, well, for the context of the podcast, you're listening to it at night. It's it's much more uh, actually more complicated. Didn't we just cover that? metagaming? <laughs> this is a metagaming. It's reality. Anyway, um, <laughs> the subjectiveness of that of such. Anyway, uh, I guess we're gonna end the podcast now before before it gets worse. <laughs> yeah, before it gets worse. Good night, everyone. Hello.